Okay, uh, let's make sure this doesn't crash when I go to close it, because we've seen that happen before. Hi, Zach, how are you? Hi. You sound good. I'm good. That I'm is seems good. That is good. All right, we burned a half hour on a mic check, because I suck. Love it. Time's up. Let's do this. I'm ready. I'm not ready. Welcome, dear listener, to the QQ Cast. Today is Thursday, March fourth, twenty twenty one. We're your hosts, Tom Dupont and Zach Mayer. Say, where's Ruli? Where's Ruli? What a joke to make. He's staying home with a sick daughter. It's I don't know. It's not funny. It's sad. I hope I hope everything's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they're fine. Speaking of everything being okay, Zach. Is this? Have you heard of Quest One Thirty Six, where we discuss how everything we ever loved has closed? Thank you, pandemic. <laughs> Speaking of how everything is okay, yeah, nothing's okay. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, and now, to be fair, to be fair, everything we are about to rant about is, uh, well, I mean, as a consumer, it's first world problems. I feel bad, horribly bad, when businesses, you know, go under, especially privately owned ones, which you are going to talk about actually. Um, but as a consumer, it's like, oh no. A, a store closed. There's so many worse things that could happen, but it is it is sad for for the small business people who put a lot of time and effort and and I mean in some cases livelihoods in, into these businesses. It, it sucks. Well, it fucking sucks. And it and it sucks for the people that work at these places. Like you remember when uh, Circuit City closed down? That was a tragedy. A lot of people were out of work. That sucked. I don't think this is quite the same this time around, but it very well could be. And I just might not be that close to it anymore. Uh, well, where do you want to start? Which, which one of there's at least two major franchises, and then I can also pine over the fact there have been several, plenty of small local businesses and restaurants that have gone under. I, I feel so bad for anyone who like fucking started a restaurant in the last few years. Jesus. Oh yeah. You know what? Let's do the local stuff last. I feel like we can we can end on a nostalgic note, but um, let's talk about the big one first. Uh, which which to, one was bigger? Let's just get. Well, I mean, by sheer square footage. <laughs> okay, now I know where you're going. Let's go with Fry's. Poor Fry's Electronics. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've talked to, to other people about this, just like in passing, because that's apparently the only kind of discussion that it really merits. But uh, the general consensus, consensus seems to be, oh, a retail store closed? I had no idea they were still operating. And... I get it on some level, but like, I guess we should probably talk about the difference between Fry's and Micro Center because Micro Center is doing very well. Which which is so amazing that one would thrive while the other wouldn't. But apparently there's a lot of behind the scenes reasons for that. I did a little tiny bit of research uh, before we talked about this. So yeah, yeah why, don't, why don't you describe like, I recently had an experience where I went to Fry's and I went to Micro Center and it was, whoo, talk about stark contrast. Um, What's what's your take on this? Well, to me, like the thing that was cool about fries when they were first sort of coming on to the scene, and this is dating myself, but um, yeah, they started to show up as a big box electronics retailer, uh, a la sort of somewhere between Best Buy and Circuit City, right? And really, they had this great idea that they were going to take over a lot of these like failing larger spaces. Uh, in some cases, they were other electronic stores. We had uh, Incredible Universe uh, over in, in Garland that turned into a fries with a cowboy theme, which was awesome. Uh, but it was it was just like a Costco. It was the Costco of electronics. Uh, you go in, there were you know deals on stuff, bins of things, uh, not a huge amount of you know, wrote expertise. There wasn't a genius bar or anything like that, or a geek squad. They didn't provide that kind of service. And that was fine. Like that was exactly what you needed from a big box electronics store. It was just, here's where all of the supply is. Here's the one place you have to go to get whatever. And you could be, you know, an enthusiast or a, you know, first time PC builder, or you could be looking for pre-built systems, you know, the HPs, the compacts, all that good stuff. You could be a professional, like a network engineer. They had all of the professional like bits and bobs, right? And that was great. And then I don't know if you were in town, but you probably remember a similar store opening, like the one that was opened in Plano. 
there was a it was a bespoke built building for fries and that was i want to say it was kind of cool at the time but it was a very very different feel and i feel like that's where they really diverged in a way that was not sustainable i don't know what exactly their their line of thinking was they had a good thing going it was not a very polished thing it was not a very sexy thing but they decided that they were going to start doing things like opening a coffee bar in the middle of the shop like why like people are just going to go hang there, out man it was a lifestyle to yeah, be fair people i are just going to go, go hang out there on one occasion or two one or two maybe for the novelty but that's all it ever was <laughs> it true, was the novelty true. and it was so it was so far apart from their core business i don't know what the the uh, justification for it was or how it was set up maybe it was some kind of like you know lease space franchise thing you know how people will sell barber seats in a shop and they're all independent barbers just kind of working in this co-op same thing could have been happening with the coffee shop at fries but then in addition to that and the uh electronics that they were pretty well known for they also started branching out into things like big appliances and the same sort of real estate uh, i guess uh, shop real estate that you would see in a Best Buy, which... Zach, you still there? Did I lose you? Hello? Oh, God, is this is this podcast just not meant to be? Mic issues, internet issues? Oh, my God, come on. <laughs> yeah. Where, where were we? Where, I guess, what was the last thing you heard? You were talking about only went to a coffee shop, like, once or twice for the novelty, and I agreed. Oh, man. Okay. I got into a whole, like, three other points. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I was saying, like, they I, I, they started to branch out into kind of, like, the same retail real estate that Best Buy had with large, like, appliances and things like that. You could buy a refrigerator at Fry's now, and that's, okay, it's sort of kind of related, but still just, I, I don't know, like, there's... I, and I can sort of follow the line of thinking. Like they're looking at other electronics retailers, and they see Best Buy, the biggest name in that particular space, and they're like, "We want to be more like Best Buy. We want to keep compete with Best Buy. We got to do what Best Buy does." And I don't think it served them particularly well because, in order to do what Best Buy does with their large appliance space and you know office furniture and things like that, they had to give up a lot of what attracted people to fries in the first place, which was the big box electronics. Like all of the electronics got sacrificed for just more shit that you could get at Best Buy. And maybe, maybe you could get it at fries cheaper. Sometimes. And they did have decent sales. But not enough to justify going to one over the other. And especially when there's way more Best Buys out there that are probably closer to you. It's like, why go to Fry's? There's a Best Buy across the street. <sighs> I don't know. I, I feel like they they tried to be everything to everyone and were bad at everything. Well, apparently that was supposed to be their their niche. They wanted to be, I mean, when Fry's opened up back in the 90s, right, uh, it was not very common to have major electronics warehouses, let alone things that sold low-end parts. That just that was just non-existent. But then they didn't just want to do that in order to get people to come to the stores. They also wanted to have all these other things. They would have the appliances. They would have the furniture. Well, did they have furniture? I think I, I swear to God, some of them must have furniture. Oh, they definitely did. Like you, I had a Fry's desk oh, for a long desks. time. Oh God, I forgot about the desks. I yeah, get chairs and things. Um, yeah, that was that was kind of their 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 deal, right? That was uh, it was all like office stuff, stuff that you would use you know to put appliances on they definitely had like tv consoles at one point yeah they had ikea levels of furniture but no yeah. variety <laughs> i mean IKEA yeah, quality was... ikea quality of furniture i guess yeah yeah it was all flat pack stuff um which yeah again fine i guess but like nothing that they offered by the end of their life wasn't being served by someone else better and I feel like they they generalized so much that they were just the mediocre option for everything. They weren't a good place to be. Yeah, well, so, again, they had their specialization. They tried to get bigger with the other stuff, which was always mediocre. But I guess it was working well enough until there just was more competition, until yeah. electronics retailers became more of a thing. Yep. 
Um, and additionally, one of the things Fry's, and it's so many retailers failed to do this, but Fry's was so especially bad at it. They just refused to get an online retail. Do you remember that they bought Outpost.com? And so yeah, like the Fry's site was was Outpost.com, but it didn't even have yep. the same branding, or like they didn't, they didn't switch over the name or something like that. Um, yeah, for a long, for an unacceptably long time, it was Outpost.com was Fry's inventory, and you just kind of had to know that. Eventually, and they did put sure Fry's didn't. logo on it, and Fry's.com became the URL that you went to. But like, it's just it wasn't worth it. Um, they didn't have very good like tools for shipping to customers from an online store. Like, they didn't make major deals with uh, like parcel carriers or anything like that. It was just all. It wasn't even bulk rate. It was all just basically retail rate shipping. Which just isn't a good deal anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, you can point to the obvious culprit for competition in that space, Amazon. But nowadays, like like nowadays, but Amazon really didn't do anything special. They just did it bigger. They have more of these agreements with like parcel carrier shippers, USPS, UPS, um, and even like Newegg has deals. I mean, granted, it's on track, which is garbage, but like they're doing the quote-unquote right thing. Fry's never did any of that. They didn't pay any attention to the like end-to-end of how to get their inventory into customers' hands if they weren't physically at their warehouse. And on the one hand, I can sort of see... Like, so much of it is just like, all these little decisions seem reasonable in isolation, but compounded together, they're just not... Um, like I can see somebody at, in an executive position at Fry's saying, why would we need to deal with shipping? Costco doesn't need to deal with shipping. And we are basically <laughs> Costco for electronics. And I can understand that argument. It just doesn't work with the competition they have in their space. I say, can, can you understand that argument? Because that, that seems real short-sighted. And I, I think you could have made that argument a decade ago. Yeah, no, it it absolutely is short-sighted. That's the point. But like, it's the kind of thing that you can sort of see the logic behind and go, all right, but you have other factors to contend with that Costco doesn't have. You are different businesses. And if somebody's myopic view is that, no, we're the same as Costco, then how do you... You have to work harder to get through to that. I can definitely understand why that work wouldn't have been done. Yeah. Well, so um, one of the next major things that apparently happened, and I again, I did minimal research on this, was I guess a few years ago, they were already, even before the pandemic, Fry's was already having a lot of problems, I think for all the reasons that we're discussing. Yeah. And so they switched to a consignment model. So from then on, they weren't buying their inventory and putting the stores. They were having, you know, uh, vendors provide them with inventory. And when it's sold, then the vendors get paid. So most shit apparently pulled out of fries. And apparently, like, half their stores were, were fucking, like, or not half the stores. All their stores were half empty yeah. uh, from then on. So I, I didn't actually know that. Yeah, no, it's it, it, it was such a depressing place to be because you'd be like, I'm going to go to this one-stop shop. They will definitely have what I need to... Yeah, they might, or they could put it on back order, or what? Why? Why deal with the hassle? I don't know. I mean, clearly I wasn't, but I hadn't, uh, I had, again, I hadn't been to a Fry's in a couple of years, uh, probably again, because online retail and alternatives, there's a micro center that's way closer. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Now, I used to kind of scoff, and um, <laughs> good segue, I used to kind of scoff at micro center because it wasn't Fry's. Like, back when Fry's was awesome, <laughs> there was a micro center that was a reasonable distance away. It was right on the highway. You could get to it super quick. And it just, it was smaller. They had a lot of the same stuff. Sometimes they had pretty okay sales that you would hear about in retrospect. But like, if you weren't on their mailing list, then you just didn't really know in time to really take advantage of it. So I just, for me, I just kind of ignored it. Because uh, fries. Why would I pay attention to Micro Center when I had fries right there, like two of them in three miles or something ridiculous? Um, now, though, like Micro Center really embraced their online side, which is great. Um, but they've turned themselves into something between a boutique and a warehouse. And it's super effective. It's not Best Buy. It's definitely way more jam-packed than a Best Buy would be. And it's different. It's a different sort of inventory in general 
I don't think that Micro Center has anything like appliances. Pretty sure they don't have microwaves, and that would be the biggest that I can imagine them having. <laughs> um, but they definitely got into uh, the the they got into the electronics space and stayed there, and they specialized, and they specialized, and they specialized. And what that did was attract people that were interested in their specialized market, the electronics space, computers especially, uh, as sales associates. And so you had a very knowledgeable core group of people in every single microcenter that knew their shit and could help anybody with almost anything, whether it's like network infrastructure or building a PC or you know buying a laptop. You had people there that knew what they were talking about. And that's such a different feel from Fry's, even Best Buy, uh, and I want to bring back Circuit City because bless their hearts. <laughs> oh, they used to be bless one of those right between a CompUSA and a Best Buy. I think yeah. Circuit City is the one I went in the least. Yeah, but um, no, uh, and now Micro Center has this this great sort of position, I think, in the general zeitgeist of electronics retailers of being like of being like Newegg but better in a lot of ways most of it in the the customer service and delivery like micro center gets inventory and they can distribute that a bit more equitably than new egg can plus they don't use on track and i mentioned them a minute ago on track is a garbage carrier and i hope that they get better but i know that they won't so i also kind of hope they just die in a fire anyway yeah no it, it's just it's such a great thing to have these two companies to talk about because Fry's going the generalist sort of try to do everything and then having to go through and do lifeline shit like consignment is such a different story than what Micro Center did. They did the exact opposite. They specialized and they did very, very well in specializing because it, it turned out to be the right decision for reasons that you were talking about. Like there was growing competition in this space. There probably still is to a degree. Um, and when there is more competition, you see it everywhere. Specialists win. Like you carve out your niche and you be the best that you can at whatever market segment you can capture. And if you try to go for everything, it's just going to fall apart. And that's exactly what we saw play out. I mean, so it certainly seems either be niche or be Amazon. <laughs> that seems to yeah. be the modern, the modern standard. God, you know, it's it's definitely you can look at Amazon and be like, oh, they're they're do everything generalist, but really their specialization is drop shipping. Like it's their their supply pipeline. They're less a retailer than they are a logistics company. And they are very, very good at being a logistics company, in addition to all the other stuff that they do, the cloud, AWS things. Those are kind of sidelines to logistics, logistics, logistics. It wasn't books. They, it well, wasn't books. What a humble beginning. What like a humble beginning. They, then they, turned, they turned a new page. Yeah. Started a new chapter. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, so, yeah, Fry's didn't specialize, went to consignment. The whole thing was was going badly, and that was before the pandemic. And then they just said they're going to shut down and shut down all the stores, um, all at once. So uh, rest in yeah. peace, fries. Now my my fondest my fondest memories of fries were definitely Zach. You know what I'm going to say. Oh yeah, Black Friday. Black Friday sales. Oh my God, we would get there uh, the night before. We would literally camp out on the sidewalk. We would literally draw up battle plans. We would go in and be like, okay. And I know it sounds stupid, dear listener, but seriously. The, like, if you've seen those Black Friday videos of people mobbing the stores, like, this shit actually mm -hmm. happened. Like, they had cops there, like, with reinforced gates, make people sure people mm -hmm. can mob the doors. Um, and it was like, okay, cool. Zach, you're going to hard drives, pick up three of these and two of these. You know, Trey, you're going to get monitors. Tom, you're going to go get in line, try to get a damn processor. Like, we would map out what everyone wanted and try to grab all that shit. Um, oh, my God. It was, it was peak consumerism. It was so it was much fun. It was the best, and what made that possible was the uh, the flyer that came in the newspaper, like giant, the Friday, like, uh, yeah, the two like page the Thursday spread. before or whatever. It was the Wednesday or Thursday before they would send out this this big flyer of everything they had on sale, and you could page through it, mark 
the stuff that you wanted, a lot of things would be like, you know, limit one or two per customer. So you'd be like, all right, you got somebody who needs five of these. Great. We're all going to buy one. Fine. But uh, no, I mean, the lead up to that, the overnight after Thanksgiving, uh, chilling in the cold, waiting for the you know, waiting in line with liberal campers. And I feel like we did it at the right time because we just had to stand in line and maybe somebody brought a portable heater at one of those, like we backed up a car plugged <laughs> yes, in. We did. A, yes, we did. Uh, plugged in a CRT TV and played like N64 or. Did we have it? Was it, I don't think it was a CRT. I think it was like a little like plasma or something. It was, it was some tiny, like 20 something inch tiny plasma. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that was it. But uh, yeah, no, just playing video games out of the back of the car while we wait in the line. Um, then like, even a couple of years later, like we we stopped doing that, and it wasn't a conscious decision. We just really didn't have time anymore for reasons. Everybody had their own. Um, but you would start to see the stories of the lines getting bigger and bigger, and people waiting in line earlier and earlier, and like people showing up on a Tuesday for a Friday sale, putting up a tent and camping out in line. That kind of shit is nuts beyond reason. We didn't do that. We had fun, <laughs> but we didn't do that. Uh, I mean, were we were times. we would we would be like in the first hundred people like to get in. Like we weren't that far off. The people who would like camp out no. for more than a night—that's fucking insanity. Yeah, but we would like show up. The earliest I think anybody showed up for one of those fries camping trips was like five or six p.m. on Thursday, and the doors opened at six p or six a.m. on Friday. So you're talking about twelve hours. That's a lot. Don't get me wrong, but it's not four days. Uh, yeah. We never did that for Best Buy, and I think there was a reason for that. Like, Best Buy had insane people, but I feel like the lines that we saw, the crowds that we saw at Fry's were tame by comparison. And I mean this by comparison. They were not friendly people uh, once those doors came open. But uh, <laughs> they... Nobody, I think, was trampled at a fries. Not to death. <laughs> there was some trampling. There was, oh my goodness. I do remember. Uh, that uh, was fun. It was in a, a bygone era. Nowadays, all the best deals are online anyway, or they're limited or whatever. It is a, uh, That was a time. That was a place in history. It was unique. Yeah. And we got lots of computer parts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. All right, Zach, there is another thing that we love that has recently, like yesterday, today, announced that uh, they are closing up shop. Well, no, they haven't. Wait, wait. This company hasn't announced. Fry said, we're closing, we're done. Yep. This other they company threw in the towel. Yeah, uh, filed for Chapter 11, which was not technically out yet, I think. Uh, right. What am I referring to? Uh, that would be the Alamo Draft House. Yeah. Yeah. Future's uncertain. For sure. Like, Chapter 11 isn't the end of the road, but it is not a good thing. Um, I mean, basically, they're filing for bankruptcy protection. Like, they're trying really hard to stay in business. They need creditors to back the fuck off. Chapter 11 is the tool that they're using for that. So, cool, on the one hand. They're not closing down entirely. But this last 12 months has not been kind to any theater. And Alamo Drafthouse is tiny compared to the large chains. They are boutique theaters. Um, and they're very, very good. And they're very well loved. And if you don't know what Alamo Drafthouse is, they're the thing that people compare other theaters to in terms of quality. Well, especially the, the dining the, ones. The dining ones oh, the bar. Absolutely. Like they're they're the I don't know if I don't think they were the original, but they're the no. high bar that I've ever heard. Yeah. No, they they absolutely are. Their their level of service and their their what's the what's the term that I've seen with reference to them? It's like um their uh like fan centric policies, their their customer centric policies, their yeah, they're they they are a movie theater for moviegoers. Um, their interest is in providing the best movie going experience, and that is not strictly true of a lot of theaters. A lot of you know cool things that have come around uh, 
in theaters in general have come around less out of necessity than more out of competition. And even back to the very first thing, uh, air conditioning, right? <laughs> you get, you know, the story of air conditioning in theaters. Uh, apparently not. Enlighten me. So, um, I don't remember if it was New York or another city, but it was probably New York because why wouldn't it be? Um, it gets very hot and people would go into these nice big dark rooms and try to cool off. Uh, except that you couldn't because it was a big, dark, stuffy room in the summer and summer movie sales were before air conditioning abysmal dude who invented AC, whose name escapes me because nouns, uh, said, Hey, let me put this in Archie theater. Cornwald. Thank you. Let me put this thing in a theater and, uh, we're going to try it out. You know, cost you nothing. Let's go. They advertise it. Uh, they get a big audience in the middle of summer and they start cranking this giant central AC thing that they've built in the basement and nothing happens for the first few minutes. People are in their seats sweating the, you know, big cotton suit things. Cause you know, it's the movies you got to dress up uh, until finally this thing clicks on, starts blowing nice cold air and you see people start like putting down their hand fans and they're looking much more comfortable. And after that, people started to go to the movies for the air conditioning in the summer. And hey, you get to see a cool movie. And because people were going to this one theater that had air conditioning, other theaters had to adopt it. So this dude made banks selling air conditioners to movie theaters. On and on and on, you see that pattern repeat over and over and over again in theaters, whether it's concessions or stadium seating or air conditioning. Theaters adopt comfort for the people in the theater, not because they're trying to serve their customers, but because they're trying to compete with other theaters. And that's, it's a very, you know, capitalistic approach to innovation, right? Uh, the point of all of that is to say that Alamo Drafthouse does not follow that model. They adopt comforts for moviegoers because they are comfortable for moviegoers. The dine-in, movie theater the big you know comfy seats um you know limited viewing screenings uh even down to the film selection that they put in it's not quite art house films all the time they do blockbusters for sure but they definitely do have especially during the traditionally like slow periods of the day much more a much wider selection of films that they will show in these theaters plus you can rent them out i mean who didn't love that? Which I think was one of the few things they were still during during COVID. Yes. Yes, you could still rent out now in a draft house theater. Um, and that was true of a, a few of the smaller theaters that could afford to like rent their space. Or I guess whose space was affordable to rent. Yeah, one of the podcasts uh, I listen to, they have some friends that own a small theater, and that's basically yeah. the only thing they can do to try to make any money at all right now. That and ask their local like people or patrons for for donations like literally you know yeah. you can't be here can you keep us in um, yeah yeah so yeah if alamo draft house started a patreon i think it would do very well um i kind of hope they do because i don't know how to give them money i don't live anywhere near an alamo draft house anymore uh and i i wish i, wish I did that i did yeah but that is that is one of the few businesses that i would be willing to just hand money to because i love what they do so much um so, yeah, chapter 11, like we said, is not the end, uh, is a protection against the end. And whether they come out of chapter 11 stronger once the lockdown restrictions, I shouldn't say this, once it is safe to go to the movie theater again, whether they start to recover their business and pay down the debts that they've accrued, uh, really what chapter 11 means for them in the long term is that it will be harder for them to borrow, which means that it will be harder for them to, they don't really franchise, they build direct, but it'll be harder for them to expand that business and grow it. Uh, but they're a private company. And if slowing expansion for a period of time is uh, the price of staying in business, then I'm sure they're, uh, they're, they're well positioned to take advantage of that. You know, if this was a public company filing for Chapter 11, they would have way more problems. But they're not. So this isn't the worst thing. But it is, like I said, not a good thing either. 
Uh, chapter 11 is usually not considered a good thing, so yes, I'll agree with that statement. Uh, I, yeah, I really hope that they stick around, though. Alamos are awesome. I wish there was one here. Uh, uh, so again, uh, wrapping up the, their closing on a fond memory, um, Alamos is known for doing all sorts of special events uh, as well. Or again, like pre-COVID, like everything else. Um, and so they would the before, do... Before, time. Yeah, and so they do showings of old movies or other things. And one of the things they had uh, back when I was still in high school is they had movie night where... Uh, I think it was Tuesdays, I think? They did anime night. Yep. Where I, I forget... It was so cheap. I want. I don't know if it was five bucks or or what, but like they would show anime, like a couple of episodes of random animes, uh, like not not the shit you'd see on like Toonami or anything else, like other random things that we never heard of. Um, I think they were actually partnered with who was like ADV or some one of the translation companies that lived uh, yeah. that was like housed in Houston. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so they would they would show stuff, and it was amazing. So my friends and I would all like hop in a car, get someone to drive us out there. I think some of this was even before we had licenses. Um, and we would drive out there and we'd watch anime and we'd, we'd all share like a picture, a picture of fucking root beer and queso. Oh, God, to have that metabolism again, just to watch anime in a theater again. Fuck, oh, Zach. I would, I would go tonight. Like, just, oh, my God. I Such fond memories. You had me at queso. I know. And not just root beer. Pictures of root beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, oh, God, it was great. God, yeah. No, and that was, <laughs> I'm being real honest. Uh, one of, I, I moved to Seattle with like almost sight unseen. I'd never really been to Seattle before. Uh, I, I took a job and moved out here. Um, I love it now, but one of the first things that I looked for after any grocery store that I could recognize, um, was anything like an Alamo draft house. There just is not, there is not. There was one chain out here. I can't even think of its name right now. It was so mediocre. It was so disappointing. Like, Exactly. There's nothing cool about it, the way Alamo had cool posters or cool like pre like remember the, the pre screens at uh, at Alamo like they made their own movie reels and their own commercials so it wasn't just yeah. like you know Wendy's commercials kind of show wasn't corporate shit. Uh, th- this place out here again just standard movie theater crap. Uh, the seats were not super comfortable and the food yep. was beyond mediocre. It was like like yeah. did they seriously just go to Costco and buy like you know fucking microwavable shit from Costco? I know. I know. Now there's um there is one theater now that's in a building in Bellevue that is okay. Like if you're looking to eat while you watch a movie, it is pretty decent food. It's it's a bar and grill kind of a thing, but at least the food is okay. But it is not anywhere near the charm of an Alamo draft house. Uh everywhere else that's tried the concept of a dine-in theater, uh just fucks it up it's like an add-on like yeah we've got a theater we're we've got a screen we've got a projector what the fuck else do we need you want some fries fine i'll microwave some fucking fries oh fries shit i made myself sad again dun 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 (laughs) but it's like the thing that makes alamo great is that focus on the movie going experience nobody else does that and it would be an absolute tragedy to lose it so yeah don't close alamo don't close i'm oh. serious if they ever have a page i'm actually gonna look it up because i don't know that i have yet if they had a patreon you donate yes go fund me a patreon or whatever um let's see so i i did actually this year um you know during the original part of covid rock gyms had closed and i still had a subscription to one of the local rock gyms and they sent out emails being like hey look we're gonna auto cancel all subscriptions but, you know, if you want to, you can opt in and, and keep paying us. And so I did. I opted in and I kept paying them for a few months. Um, and actually, when they came back, they, of course, had to raise prices a bit. But they're like, if anyone who's been donating, you don't get your price raised. And so like, yay, my rock gym expense is 10 bucks less a month because I never stopped donating. But I, I did it just to try to, like, help them out and keep them in business. Um, and on a side note, I don't think I've said this on mic. Rock climbing during the pandemic is actually kind of awesome because you, <laughs> you, you do it by appointment only. And they only let, like, a dozen people into the gym. So the whole place is like abandoned and night and every, they, they make sure everyone wears fucking masks. No one fucks around. Um, but like it usually rock gyms are like shoulder to shoulder. You're waiting to get on a wall. There's people everywhere. Like it's just mm-hmm. spacious and nice and reservation only. And like, I, I fucking really like rock climbing during the pandemic. There are, there are some upsides and the lack of crowds is one of them. Um, and, a bunch of different spaces. Uh, what I've found, though, is those crowds are 
displaced elsewhere. Hiking during the pandemic, you have to go to weird, unknown places to get a, a trail that doesn't just isn't just like choked with people. And at least out here, even most of those people that you do encounter are still wearing masks. It's fine for certain definitions of fine, but it's not the same kind of peaceful experience you get on the a popular trail that before would have been like, you know, maybe 50 people over the course of a day is now closer to 200. And that's significant. But I digress. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I am I'm scared for Draft House. I hope they do okay. Um, definitely going to keep an eye on it. I hope they get to... I, I hope they figure something out, because they do great shit. Like, they had this... Um, relief funds earlier in the pandemic for their furloughed employees and it was just like they are trying really really hard to be the good guy and they are in so many ways <sighs> do not yep. let the slight go out oh hey i can buy gift cards you can stockpile That's... things that will not be worth anything it's like it's like investing in dogecoin <laughs> well it's more like i can i can give them money because i'm never going to redeem these I, i'm never going to be in a position where i'm like back in a place where I'm, the thing that I'm going to be doing is going to an Alamo draft house, unless they open one near me, in which case I would be there all the time. I could buy gift cards. Well, we know what I'm getting for you, or I know what I'm getting from you for Christmas next year. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Anyway. Anyway. Well, those are the two big closures. I, I know there's been a million others, but I can't, I can't think of any. But um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, there's no real need for us to go over all the local stuff that's closing, but definitely my favorite taco place closed. That sucked. Mm-hmm. Oh, what else? One of my favorite breakfast places closed. Uh, what else? What else? What else? There's yeah. A bunch. Yeah. Restaurants have not done super well. Um, I was really proud of this one place near me. Uh, we can talk about a more or less success story. Do it. So this, this um, call it uh, medium up end, uh, medium high end Italian place opened up. Uh, over in West Seattle. And we went there in like December of 2019, uh, right after they opened. You know, it was their like opening week. We got a reservation. Uh, we were super excited. It was fantastic. Really, really great food. Uh, awesome space. And um, then the pandemic happened and everything got shut down. And they were like, all right, well, this fucking sucks. Uh, and then it lasted more than like a month and they were like, okay, cool. Instead of a restaurant, we are now a, uh, they're a boutique grocer. Uh, what? they, they basically, you know, Here, they, here's they, the shit we didn't cook. You can have it off the shelves. Yeah, pretty much. Well, like <laughs> they, they, they made some like ready to go like meals, like, or meal kits, uh, like some restaurants were uh putting together meal kits that would you know more or less approximate what you would get in the restaurant itself um uh, but they also sold things like their homemade tomato sauce um you know their uh well a bunch of different sauces it's italian you know there's just sauces that you have they put those into cups slapped a label on them and sold the sauce they sold some of their uh stock of uh like pastas that they either made themselves, which was great. Um, they had a few that they had like bulk ordered that were from local, uh, whatchamacallits, local shops that make pasta. A lot of it came from Pike's Place market and vendors in that space. Uh, so they would sell it in this, in this space. They also did things like um, bottled cocktails, which were kind of fun. Uh, and they're still doing this to my knowledge today. Uh, but like a lot of restaurants got onto the meal delivery apps, your DoorDash, your Uber Eats, that kind of stuff, Postmates. And that's a way to survive. But all of those apps take like 30% off the top. And that's not great for restaurant margins which are already pretty small to begin with so prices went up and for a lot of people that was kind of pricing out of eating out 
But um, these guys, they didn't do that. I don't know if that was even really a consideration for them, but they went in such a different direction with how they were going to preserve that restaurant, preserve that business. And I just thought it was super cool. Like, I would never have thought of that. No, I think any any business that's been able to adapt during this is beyond admirable. Uh, one of the places near me started, they didn't go as far as that, but one of the first things they started doing was selling during the, the real start of the pandemic was starting selling survival boxes where they would sell you, I wasn't joking when I was like, oh, the shit that we haven't cooked yet, like literally be like, hey, we're going to give yeah. you, you know, two pounds of ground beef, we're going to get you a, a gallon of whole milk, we're going to get you like a, <laughs> yes. a carton of eggs, the kind of shit you could not get at the grocery store. And so it was like a hundred bucks for a survival box, but the fact that you couldn't get that food from a grocery store at certain points and the fact they were doing this to try to you know just survive and stay in business it was like i found that super super admirable yeah no what a great way to cut down inventory uh quick like yeah well fuck it we'll just resell it um yeah no if you can get if you can get people to buy it then by all means yeah and you're absolutely right like the adapters during this whole time are <sighs> admirable as a word uh that you used and i agree with it i think they're worth keeping i I think they're worth keeping an eye on too because there's adaptation that follows necessity there's adaptation that follows innovation and this was a giant culling of in some cases businesses that i hate to say just don't deserve to exist i feel like that's really mean but uh yeah i do feel like the ones that we still have are the ones worth keeping around. Eh, I mean, the times have definitely changed. Lots of things have adapted. Delivery's been a new thing. It, it's it's going to be equally interesting to see when we all come out of this how different the world is. Uh, I was recently just talking to somebody about, like, you know, I used to be the high five guy at work. And, like, even if we get back, like, you know, making physical contact with shit tons of random people is... Probably not as likely. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we'll all be vaccinated. Maybe it'll all be fine, but I don't see it. But the same thing happen with businesses. Like, uh, delivery yeah. is probably going to continue past this. Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how the, the long-term effects are. Well, you can switch to elbows, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's... It's a little, le- like, alcohol swabs and keep swabbing my elbow all day long. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. I guess you don't really wear long-sleeve shirts in Southern California, huh? But, as uh, yeah, well, you know what? Do you remember the shirts that used to have like the leather patches in the elbow? Yeah, maybe maybe those will make a comeback. Um, <laughs> no, I mean the the working landscape has been so radically shifted. Like I know of a few spaces, Facebook for instance, is going to start opening up uh, their offices in the not too distant future. I'm sure Microsoft and Amazon are going to be about the same, but they're doing it at vastly reduced capacity. And mine isn't doing that yet, at least to my knowledge. And honestly, I don't care to know because I've gotten really used to working from home, but that's only true for me because I have the space to work at home. And a lot of people don't. You think of everybody in Silicon Valley and how compacted people are in San Francisco. You know, if you are a college graduate working at even one of the, you know, big fang companies, you're probably sharing space with at least one other person, probably two or three. That's tough to cram, say, four people into an apartment and have them all working at the same time in a very limited space there that's that's the demographic that's really looking forward to the offices reopening because that is an extension of their own space their workspace is separate this realignment that we're getting you know forcing everybody out of the office buildings uh and then starting to reintroduce office space as uh an option that's going to have implications not just on like work culture but also on real estate like you don't need all of this office space it turns out and is that going to are the voids that are left from large organizations that have tons of floor space and square footage going to be filled by other companies is there going to be a new renaissance of startups that comes out of this i could see it the office it space could also is... be something else where the real estate market just crashes and burns yeah so, well 
people commuting or leaving the cities and buying houses outside of it because the commutes aren't an issue anymore is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the telecommuting thing and the the office space is super interesting. Um, because if if businesses go to you know flex time work or part time work whatever you want to call it or part time remote, you don't need to have enough uh, square footage to seat a hundred percent capacity for all your employees if you're rotating them out on different days. So while it might take a little bit of like logistics coordination, you could save twenty you know plus percent if everyone works at home one day a week and they're rotated. Um, yeah, it's there's a lot of interesting side effects. Uh, we shall see how it all goes. Yeah, uh, I guess I think of it as a lot of opportunities. Like, there's tons of ways that we can reimagine how working in how office culture works. Um, like you said, rotating people in and out, uh, reducing that, uh, reducing the physical corporate footprint opens up a lot of room for other people to be in that space. You know, and Beyond that, the idea of a mobile, like connected, but mobile workforce that can be pretty much anywhere as long as you can make the stand-up meetings, that's that's compelling. It's more compelling to me now than it was a year ago. Yeah, I, I we my team at work took a poll and they were like, hey, who would like to come back into the office if there are some restrictions or having to do a COVID test or having to do other things? I was the only person who said yes. I'm a fucking extrovert, and I'm tired of being in the goddamn house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, fair. Absolutely fair. Uh, but the point is, like, we're, we're learning that you don't have to work just one way. And it turns out that if we have to radically shift how we work, we can. And so why don't we more often? I mean, besides the regular, like, oh, it'd be disruptive, or you'd lose productivity, or on and on and on, I think we've discovered that we can largely cope with how different people want to work. And if we keep coping, if we keep that going forward, that would not be the worst thing. See, I, I wouldn't use the word cope. I don't. I think that's almost an understatement here. Like, this is... Uh... We have realized that we can work in different fashions. It's not even about coping with reality. It's accepting that, hey, we have all this technology and we have all these new ways of working and we can actually be very productive in these different ways. And the yeah. paradigm of, again, cities and suburbs and commuting, we probably have been able to challenge it for a lot longer than we realized. I think tech companies and startups were doing it for a long time. And now the rest of the world kind of by force has learned, oh, I guess there are options here. Um, yeah, there so definitely I wouldn't are. Cope. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, cope from like a business standpoint, right? If you are the uh, CIO of a company and you're looking at what am I spending on real estate versus what am I spending on IT versus other things and, you know, playing this balancing act of budgeting for accommodating work, just whatever that work is, then I, I think what we're seeing is we can be pretty flexible, it turns out. And some of this traditionalism of going to work in an office with a bunch of other people is a convention that has been thoroughly challenged at this point. And even startups that, you know, want to have that physical space in order to have, if nothing else, the feel of a real, quote unquote, I'm making air quotes, (laughs) a real company, they don't really need to do that anymore, right? Like, everybody's remote now, now, at least. Um, everybody can work pr- remotely. So Within certain industries, a, obviously, but I think yeah. more, more than had been realized. I'm saying everybody, like it's everybody, everybody. I'm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, no, I, I think there's going to be a lot less emphasis placed on your office space. And if there isn't as much pressure to have an office space, then I think you have more opportunities to be creative about how you organize teams in a working environment, how you uh, facilitate the kind of work that needs to be done. The like scary dark place of this would be a transition to a much more gig-like economy, and there are good parts, but mostly really bad parts to that for a lot of spaces. But I think we're not going to go that far. I think what we will see is a much more sort of global community of workers 
um, in not just large organizations, but small ones as well. You know, we're going to have to fucking figure out the tax code, but <laughs> <laughs> other than that, like that's, that's the, that's a barrier, but it's one that's always kind of been there. And I think if there is pressure to figure that out, then it will be figured out. You know, yeah, the oh. economics seem to be forcing that, uh, that revelation. I don't know. We shall see. We definitely will. <sighs> all right. Well, yeah, I, we've gotten really far away from the original topic. It's all good. It's all good. That's that's the that's the freaking magic of the QQ cast. Uh, come to find out, you put nerds in front of each other, and they find things to to nerd out and talk about. So, uh, yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for. Oh, let me guys do the wrap up, dear listener. Thank you so very much for joining us. We'll be back next week to talk about stuff, things God only knows. Um, do I have anything queued up? Oh shit, I gotta go dig back into my topics list and see if I have anything queued up. I still keep teasing that TV sets, or well, not that TV, just like Ooh. most amazing sets for films and television. Ooh, I, yeah, I want to do that one. Uh, I need to do my homework on that. Yeah. Anyway, well, yeah, Zach, uh, thanks again, man. Thanks for putting up with the, the world's longest, shittiest mic check. Thanks for putting up with shitty internet quality and drops in the beginning. I don't know if that's going to affect the recording. It probably did, but it totally cleared up in the back half. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's all good. Yeah, things and, uh, happen yep and hopefully uh release kiddo is feeling better and he can join us again soon yay all right zach thanks again sir thanks tom and until next time dear listener qq remotely i mean i guess q yeah i guess all podcasters are remote listeners that's i mean no one's in well okay taboo's in here listening to me hi tab <laughs> yeah Oh, man, we should have a, a screening of the QQ cast at an Alamo Draft House. Oh, my God. Sign me the fuck up. No one else would sign up for that. I would do it. <laughs> it's okay. We make enough money. We can just rent the Alamo Draft House. <laughs> so, well, their price is probably a little, little more discounted right now. Get those gift cards, Zach. Go get That's them. That's right. Oh, gift God. Cards. All right, I'm cutting it. <laughs>